Amen. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. I'm going to get you to do something for me just to begin with, really. I'm more talking to these people. If y'all will all just move into one section, I know y'all are all comfortable there. I'm going to move you around a little bit. You can actually take this time, too. Let's, let's reach out, tell somebody you love them, and you're happy they're, they're here tonight while everybody's moving. We uh, can't spread too much fellowship around. Amen. And Cato, I'm going to make one request. Can we bring up the house lights a little bit? I've been working nights, so I don't want to tempt myself to, to fall asleep on you guys. So I'm going to get the, uh, the lights wide awake. So anyways, all right. Well, uh, as Sam already mentioned, we've been doing a, a series here. And the, uh, the title of the series has been Dress for Success. We, we've been covering the uh, full armor of God from Ephesians, Ephesians 6. And uh, as you're, you're probably already there, um, our, our keynote verse is Ephesians 6, um, starting in verse 10. And so I, I want to read that with you just one more time. Starting in verse 10, it says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. And I, I want you to make a mental note. I want you to go ahead and underscore, kind of bold that in your mind because we're going to come back to it against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And we're going to pause there for a second. I want to come back to that word wiles real quick. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about the, the sword of the spirit, but I want to lay a, a firm foundation. I'm not sure if everybody's been here for the series, so I just want to make sure we have a, a, level, a level of clarity um, before we really enter into the armor of God on, on, on what Paul is talking about and what he's discussing here. And so when Paul uses this term wiles, what he's talking about is, is trickery, deception. And the important thing to, to note about that word in particular is this, that any enemy or adversary that has to resort to wiles is not capable in and of themselves to overcome you. I'm going to say that one more time because it's, it's very important that you grasp that tonight. Any enemy or adversary that resorts to the usage of wiles, trickery, deceit, deception, anything of that nature, in and of themselves, is not capable to overcome you, overpower you. You know, there, there's an incredible amount of, of uplifting scripture, scriptures you know, scriptures that say something to the effect of this, that, you know, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And there's Romans eight thirty one. if God is for us, who can stand against us? Philippians four thirteen. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and, and so on and, and so forth. But the important thing about the armor of God, and really our foundation for tonight, and you have to grasp this, or you're, you're never going to put on the armor of God, and you're never going to have the incentive to put it on, is that it all begins with you. And see, this is what Paul's trying to, to get across, that it, when it comes to the armor of God, if you are losing the fight, and if you lose the fight, it has less to do with the abilities of your adversary, and more to do with you. Now, I want you to grasp that tonight, and I want that to be a foundation. I'm going to say it one more time. If you're losing the fight, if you're in a struggle, you find yourself in habitual sin, you, you find yourself in just a, a, a place of complacency, you've got to understand that it starts with you. It has less to do with your adversary and more to do with you, okay? So everybody got that tonight, amen? All right, so let's move on. Pick it back up in verse 14. Now it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, for the sake of time tonight, I'm not going to be able to go through each one of these like, like Pastor Sam's already mentioned. Um, you, you can access them on iTunes. You know, um, Cade, Josh, Kobe, and Ryan have all spoken um, before me, and they did an incredible job. Um, you, you know, I, I, I wasn't able, I got to hear Kobe and, and Josh live, and, and they're incredible teachers. If, if you know both of them, they're, um, their, their message was jam-packed to the Word, and it's very good. But I also went back and, and listened to, uh, to Cade and Ryan, and, and man, their stuff was good. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to rehash that tonight. And so what we're going to focus on is the sword of the Spirit. And, and of course, you know, Paul grants us the clarity, and it's not just the sword of the Spirit. He says, which is the Word of God? And, and, and I think that's kind of cool that he does that. So he could just say, take the Word of God. But, but he uses the imagery of a sword for a reason. Paul's a, a very brilliant man. He's a man of God. He's a hero of the faith. And he's very intentional with his words tonight, or with his words in the Scripture. And so, you know, while, while Paul was a Jew, and he actually said this of himself, he said, I'm a, a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee, you know, basically saying I'm a, I'm a Jew of Jews. But we also know this about Paul, that he actually had dual citizenship. And so whereas Paul was also a Jew, and, and when it came to things of the law, and it came to the, the Old Testament scriptures and, and the working of the law, um, he, he was very skilled, but he was also a Roman citizen. And so whenever he's writing about the, the armor of God, what he, he's doing is he's painting us a picture of things that are applicable in his day and age. And, and most importantly, he, he's painting a picture of the Roman soldier. And as he's, you know, telling us to, to put on the armor of God, what he's really saying, and, and what he's really painting the picture of is, is the Roman soldier of that, that day and age. And, and the cool thing about the Roman soldier is this, and, and Cade kind of touched on this a little bit in his talk, is, is the Romans were, um, as far as militarily, they, they were far superior um, to, to any other tribe, nation, um, of that day and age. In, in fact, when it came to technology, you know, they, they had the, the Roman roads, um, and of course the aqueducts, things of that nature. Cade, you know, I thought it was really cool when he talked about the, uh, the shoes and actually the shoes that the, the soldiers would wear. They were actually cleats that they had spikes in them that would you know, a, allow the Roman soldiers to gain a, a steadier um, ground versus any of their opponents. So when, when Paul's depicting this sword of the spirit, what he's, he's really referring to is the, the sword of the Roman soldier, and of course the, the word of God. But, but just so we have this image, and now the, the, the Romans carried a sword and it was called the gladius. And, and the gladius was known as the, the sword that, that conquered the world. And, and the very cool thing about the gladius was it was adopted from a, a Spanish design. And originally, the sword only had one sharp edge. But the cool thing about the Roman sword is they came back through and they, they redesigned it. Now that it could, and they made it where, where both edges of the sword, so say my arm's the sword, it, it could not only cut in this direction, but it was also sharpened on the backside as well. And then they tapered it to an end. So effectively, if you were going to swing, if you were a soldier, if you and I were soldiers and we were going to take this, this sword into combat, effectively we could, you know, will damage in, in all directions. We could swing with the sword this way, and we could also swing it back this way, and then they could thrust it through, you know, metal armor and things of that nature. And of course, the butt of the sword could be used in, in very close combat. And the cool thing about the sword is this versus any of the other pieces of the armor of God. When, when Paul's writing about these other pieces, they're very defen- defensive in nature. But the thing about the sword is this. Not only can you inflict damage, but, it, but you can also parry damage. So it's, it's got both offensive and defensive qualities. And I think that that's very interesting. I just want to bring that to your attention 
um, more so just to, to give you a, a knowledge base to, to see what we're working with. But really the, the biggest takeaway from all of this is that in the hands of Roman soldiers, the, these weapons were very destructive and very deadly. They were the, the premier fighting force, if you will, of their day and age. And that came to the fact that they were skilled and they were trained. And that's where I really want to start tonight because when we're talking about the Word of God, um, it's very important that we see and very important that we note that, that it's more than just reading, it's more than just hearing it, um, you know, once a Sunday or once a Wednesday. We have to be trained and we have to be skilled in the art of, of carrying our sword. And we know that that's just an image and, of course, that's just uh, symbolic of the Word of God. So this is, you know, and it's, it's funny too, I have a couple statistics I'll get into in a second, but, but historically Christians are some of the, and it's sad, it's, it's, it's really actually um, very sad, but historically Christians are some of the, the most untrained and unequipped of all faiths. And, and let me, and, and I don't mean that, and I'm, I'm going to be a lot more encouraging than that, I, I just want to be transparent with you tonight. This is just the reality of it. And uh, I got a couple statistics I'll read in a second, but there's this guy's name's Walter Martin. And he's actually one of the, the original founders of, of Christian research. He was, back in the 1960s, he, he started an institute that would go through and they'd survey different churches and they'd come up with different church statistics that they thought would be beneficial to the direction of the church. And, and, and this is what he said whenever he started going through all the data and processing everything. This is one of the um, you know, points that he came to. And he said this, he said that the tragedy of Christianity is that a 90-day wonder out of a Jehovah's Witness can take apart a Christian in about 30 minutes. You know, when I, when I heard that, when I read that, it, it just it blew my mind. I said, that, it's so true, and it's so sad. So I said, well, you know, let, let me do a little bit of research on my own. So I came across this. It's a Lifeway research um, survey, and they, they surveyed, it says, about 3,000 um, churchgoers, and they found, and it, they said this, it found that while 90% desire to please and honor Jesus in all that I do, and I actually think that number is kind of shocking as well, that only, you know, 90% of churchgoers um, desire to, to please Jesus and, and all they do. I, hopefully they were just catching some that were, maybe they were first time in church or something because that number should be well at 100%. But it says, while 90% desire to please and honor Jesus in all that they do, only 19% personally read the Bible every day. And that's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. You know, and, and I immediately thought of a, a scripture. It comes from Hosea 4, 6, and it it says this, it says, my, my people perish due to a lack of knowledge. You know, the, the Lord told that um, to, to the tribe of, of Israel. And, and it really holds true for us um, in this day and age. And actually, to continue that verse, he goes on, he says, because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also ignore you and your children. You know, and it's, it's, it seems very harsh. But here's the reality of it is, is we as Christians, you know, we need to see these things. And we need to have a, a level of awareness and say, I've got to be intentional in changing this. You know, there's something wrong. If, if 90% of Christians say, man, I, I want to please Jesus in all that I do, yet only 20% are reading the Bible on a daily basis, we've, we've got a very broad gap and we, we need to do something. We need to, to dive a little bit deeper into that issue. You know, um, yeah, I've heard, yeah, I've been here, let's see, a little over three and a half years. I've heard some incredible messages by Pastor Sam. There's a, a lot of things that, um, stick in my mind, stick out from his messages. But there's one in particular, and it comes, it's a very familiar verse. It comes from John chapter 8, verse 31, and it says, um, Jesus said unto those who believe, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Are you familiar with this? And, it's, you know, um, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
But one of the things Sam said a, a while back, and it's always stuck with me, it's not just the truth that sets you free, right? And y'all are already, y'all are beating me to, to it, right? It's what? It's the truth you know. And, and, and it's so important as Christians that when we, we, we come to church and we fellowship and we take part in all these great activities, that we understand that this is just meant to supplement my walk in Christ. You know, this is, it, it, it's kind of the, the nature of the, the church in this day and age is to say, you know, let, let's get together and let's have a lot of fun. But when you really start to peel back the onion layer, you see that in a lot of these individual lives that there's not a lot of depth. And, you know, Pastor Sam can preach all types of messages and he can sway on our emotions and, of course, the Holy Spirit convicts and moves on our hearts. But ultimately, we have to go home and we have to combine with that with our own study and our own intimacy with Christ. And, and you know, and, and the reasons that a lot of Christians fall into habitual sin and bondage and, and you know, as Sam says, you know, the, the truth will set you free. The reason that they don't really know the truth because they're not really digging into the Word on a daily basis. It's, it's sim- simply, that's what it boils down to. And, of course, it's not just the Word. It's reading and, and praying and, and things of the like. But it, but it all comes back to being intimate with the Lord on a daily basis. And we have to be intentional in that. You know, this, this past weekend, um, I, kind of a rough weekend. Uh, not, uh, one that I would like to forget, I, I probably, probably won't. But uh, me and my wife, we, we had to uh, go up to Connor. I, I had a, a, a dog, a golden retriever. I've had him for about 14 years. And for those of you that are, are pet lovers, you know that, uh, you know, pets, we become very attached to them. Um, yeah, they, they have a way of kind of stealing and, and captivating our heart. And I've had this dog for 14 years. Let's see, I'm 25. So I've had him for, for longer than half of my life. Now, he, uh, his, his health had kind of declined. He became blind. He had cataracts real bad. And his hearing was gone. It was just that time. We, we had to go up. I said, he'd been staying with my parents. I said, you know, it's just not fair to him. We, we, you know, we need to go and, and have him put to sleep. And, so that's what we did this weekend. And it's remarkable, though, as, as we arrived Friday night, I really wanted to spend some quality time with him. And uh, it's funny because it still kind of chokes me up, and it's, it's just a dog to keep it in the perspective. But uh, anyways, <laughs> right. And he's, he's just my, he's, he's definitely my, my boy. But uh, anyways, so, you know, we go Friday night, and I'm just spending quality time with him. And it's remarkable, this animal recognize me. He, he's, granted, he's, and, you know, I wish you could see it. His eyes are completely cloudy with cataracts. He has no hearing. His smell is almost completely faded to the sense that when we went to feed him, we'd have to kind of almost put his, his you know, mouth right in the bowl to say, you know, here's your food. But as soon as I kind of, you know, started petting him and, and playing with him, immediately he sprang to life. And, and I knew because he recognized me. And, you know, it's, it's remarkable that the animals have those capabilities and the, the abilities to distinguish owners as they do. But I began to think on that. And, you know, and, and the Lord kind of struck me with this, this thought and with this idea. And he said that, Trent, you know, the sad truth of it is that the church is really like that companion in many ways. See, when, when the Lord refers to the church, he refers, refers to us as the, the bride of Christ. I can tell you, why, whereas my dog can recognize me, and he can tell you maybe how I smell or... You know, that, that that is me, and he can distinguish me from other people. When it really comes to the depth of the issue, he knows nothing about me. He couldn't tell you about my character. He couldn't tell you about my thoughts. He couldn't give you any level of depth to who I am as a person. Now, my wife, on the other hand, knows me better than any person. She knows me better than anybody in this room and, and anybody in my life. And, and good and bad, she could predict what I'm going to do next. She could tell you about, you know, my, my deepest um, fear. She could, she could even tell you, you know, about my, my qualities and my traits and the things that I'm good at, good at and the things that I'm not so good at. 
There's a, a great level of intimacy there. And, and when the Lord uh, speaks unto us as his bride, that is what he desires of us, is that we have that same level of intimacy with him. You know, he doesn't want us to be a companion. He doesn't want us to just be able to recognize him. He doesn't want us to just say, well, well yeah, that's Jesus. He wants us to go so much deeper. And, and whenever, you know, I was thinking about these things, it just it pierced my heart. And we have got to, to switch from the mode of being the companion of Christ into being the bride of Christ. And we've got to stop being a fan of Christ to move into follower. You know, and, and that's where so many issues, um, as far as spiritually, stem from that root that, that there's many believers in America, but there, there's very few followers. And we've got to challenge ourselves to, especially concerning the Word of God, to pick this up on a daily basis and to make sure that we're spending intimate time with the Lord you know, gaining sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, sensitivity to Christ, learning about the Lord so that we can be more effective, of course, as, as ministers and more effective as, as light bearers. You know, um, I, I've got a story real quick I'm going to jump into, but, you know, one thing that I, I've kind of realized over my walk just over the, the, the last few years, that there, there's two wills, um, if you will, of God. There, there's a moral will of God. You know, there, there's kind of the foundational will of God, just morally what he expects of us to do right of course you know just foundationally not to do wrong you know we're not to sin we're not to murder but then there's actually the the perfect will of God and and the perfect will of God is is really a a cut above and 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 God's not satisfied with just us obtaining the the moral will of God in a sense of just not doing right or wrong he he calls us into perfection you know Jesus said for I am holy so shall you be holy and that's the standard that he sets for us so I want to tell you the story and, and just keep in mind I want you to differentiate between the moral will of God and the, the perfect will of God as, as we kind of recount this. Now, not too long ago, we, we finished a series. Pastor Sam, uh, you know, he, he talked about the family fix, and we talked about Joshua and moving in um, and, and taking the place of Moses. But I, I want to pick it back up with the story of Moses. And I know, you know most of you are probably familiar with that story. And we know that, of course, Moses was the, the prophet of, of Israel, and he, was, he led the, the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity and out of bondage into the Promised Land. But Moses himself did not enter to the promised land. And why was that? Somebody, somebody shout it out for me. What did he do? He did. He disobeyed God. When it came to the, the rock, God told him to, to speak into the rock. And what he did, he, he struck it with the staff, right? He was disobedient. And, of course, God in, in turn said, you know, consequently, you're, you're not going to enter into the promised land. But when you really begin to study, there, there's this incredible underlying details to the story. And, and normally, I like to stick just to Scripture. Um, but, but in this one, I, I found some, some details that I think really um, give us insight into to who the Lord is. And so I just want to share this with you. Now, in Exodus 17, um, this is before Moses struck the rock. There's actually a very similar um, incident where, where God commands him to go and speak into the rock, that it will bring forth its water, that it will flow, and the children and their livestock can come and drink of the water. And, and Moses, uh, or actually he tells him to strike the rock, and he does just that, and he's obedient. And it's crazy because several chapters later, we see Moses in a, a very similar setting. And except this time, God tells him to speak into the rock. And of course, he strikes it. And, and to me, I, I've always, when I've read that story, I've always gone, well, that doesn't really make sense. You know, why, why would God be so harsh in that? You know, I mean, it really wasn't that big a deal. You know, he, yeah, you told him to speak to it and he struck it. But it was really interesting. This, I did a little bit of research and... Um, this is what it says about the, the actual rocks. You know, archaeologists and geologists have went back and, and looked at the, the rocks themselves. And, and a recent article in the Westminster Theological Journal gives us some light here. 
Um, and of course, I'm paraphrasing slightly. It says, rainwater would dissolve chalk in the upper layers of limestone. And this mixture of, walk and, of water and chalk would settle further and further down the limestone layers until it came up against a harder rock layer. Then this mixture of, of water and chalk would travel sideways. Now the water would evaporate, leaving, behind, leaving the chalk behind. This chalk would then build up while water continued to build up behind it. And so really, all you needed was a, a simple blow into the rock, and it would give out its water. And, and the crazy thing is that this is describing the rock, of course, in, in the second um, you know, coming of this instance in, in Numbers. But of course, in Exodus, it was actually a completely different rock. Now, and it's, it's weird, too, because in both places, he was in a, in, in a desert. Now, one was Sin, S-I-N, and in the second one, it was Zin, Z-I-N. And so it's really kind of confusing, because if you read through it, you could miss over it entirely. But, of course, the geologists went back and said, well, the desert of Sin was completely different than the desert of Zin. And in the desert of Sin, they had very hard granite rocks. And so when the Lord told Moses, Moses to, to strike the rock, it was very much giving God glory. Because, see, when you take wood and you, you strike it against granite, normally what happens? The wood's going to break. That's just the, the simple physics of it. But, of course, the, the Lord wanted to show his might and, of course, speak into his people. So when, when Moses struck the rock, it was a very much a granite rock. Now, when we come back and we pick this story up several um, chapters later, we see a limestone rock, that we, which I just read describing to you, and, and the Lord tells Moses to speak unto the rock. Why? Because limestones are very brittle in nature, right? So if you, if you strike limestone, if you're strong enough, you know, if Aaron Grider picks up a staff, you can very easily strike through limestone. It's not going to take a lot of effort on this part, and it's really not going to give a whole lot of glory to God. But here's the cool thing. The, the Lord says, you know, speak unto this rock. He's very intentional in what he does. And, of course, we know that, that Moses disobeys it, or we wouldn't have the, the rest of the story. But, but what God is telling us in that is that there's an acceptable will, and then there's my perfect will. You see, the, the Lord still honored what Moses did. You know, it says he, he's faithful even when we are unfaithful, and we know that. But there's a perfect will of God. And when it comes to his word, Sure, we can, we can come and we can sustain a, a level of life just coming to church and just interacting with one another. But that is not the perfect will of God. That is not the standard that he has set before us. Um, you know, you know in, in reading that statistic, I, I see a lot of things uh, about myself. I, I see that, um, that that battle of spirit and flesh that takes place on a, a daily basis of, you know, my flesh tells me this is what I want to do. You know, I'm tired from work. I just want to come home. I just want to sleep. I just want to pet my flesh, so to speak, maybe turn on the TV relax and then of course my spirit is saying no you need to, to you know gain intimacy with the lord you need to pray you need to read and you know jesus said of the, the battle of, of spirit and flesh he said that the spirit is willing but your flesh is weak that's what he, he told the children that's what he, he told his disciples is that your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak and you know ron used a, a very interesting analogy last week and i i really liked it i was listening to it on ipod and he talked about you know, if, uh, and this is, of course, in relation to the helmet of salvation, the battle that goes on in our minds and, and subjecting all disobedience to the obedience of Christ. But he talked about, you know, if we were at sleep at night and, you know, say your spouse woke you up and said, you know, hey, honey, baby, you, know, you need to wake up. I think somebody's breaking in. You know, if, if we don't have a, a level of obedience, it would be equivalent to uh, just saying, you know what, maybe they'll just take the TV. You know, and it, and it was, it was funny, you know, I, I laughed and chuckled at it, but I'm like, that's exactly what we do. We, we do that all the time. You know, it's okay. I'm going to let these thoughts just kind of circulate around in my head and, and maybe they won't stay too long. You know, maybe, maybe they won't hang out. Maybe they won't inflict too much damage, but, but that's not it at all. 
you know, our adversary, of course, we know is, is, is roaring around as a lion seeking whom he may devour. But, but the truth of it is, is that he's not coming just to kind of mess some stuff, stuff up. You know, he's, he's playing for keeps. And, you know, when I was preparing for this message, the, the Lord spoke to me, you know, just so strong. And, I, you know, I, I want to share it with you. And this is what he, what he said. He said, when, when we do not read on a daily basis, our flesh is winning the battle and the enemy is in our house. And, and you've got to grasp that tonight. I'm going to say it again just, just so, you, you know, you hear it and hopefully it sinks in. If you are not reading and praying, and of course Sam's going to talk about that next week, and, and I'm not going to dive off into that too much, but if you're not reading and praying on a daily basis, your flesh is winning the battle, and the enemy's in your house, and that's just the simple truth of it. You say, well, I don't want the enemy in my house. Well, I don't want him in your house either. I don't want him in my house, so what do we do about it? So let's pick it back up um, from Ephesians 6. Of course, Paul refers to the sword as what? The sword of the Spirit. And so this is kind of how we, we war against these things. And this is um, how we, we make sure that the, the enemy doesn't set up a resonance and, and set up a foothold in our, our house. Now, and actually, you know what, let's, uh, let's go to John 16. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 16, and we'll pick it up in, in verse 7. You know, I think it's incredible, um, of course, that, that Paul refers to it as the sword of the Spirit. But I think that it, it's incredible um, that, that Jesus would actually um, tell us that it was to our advantage that he would go away. Now, if you... Um, I've read the scripture before, you know what I'm referring to. He's, he tells us that he's going to send the, the, the Holy Spirit in his stead. That when he leaves, he's not going to leave us alone or, or forsaken. That he's going to send us an advocate, a comforter, a teacher. And, and really, when, when we're talking about the word of God, what he's going to send us is a resonant truth teacher. That the Holy Spirit is going to set up a resonance in, in our heart. And as you and I read these scriptures, he's going to bring it to life. And, and this is what it says in, in John chapter 16, verse 7. It says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then it, skip down to verse 12. It says, You know, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak on, not on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. It's incredible. So what he's telling us is that, that there is a promise of the Holy Spirit to partner with us as we begin to read and pray and to seek the face of the Lord. And, and if you know about Jesus, really when he came, the issue of his day and age was not so much outward sin. It was the issue of the heart. And so when Jesus came, he said, you know, I, I'm not really worried about the fact that, you know, you, you committed this sin or that sin. I'm worried more about your heart. Because as goes your heart, so goes your life. You know, that's what Ryan said last week, and it's, it's very true. And he said, you know, it's, it's not so much that you just don't commit adultery. He says, you know, if you even lust after a woman, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And so it all starts with the issue of your heart. And so what he does is he sends the comforter, he sends the Holy Spirit to access the level of our heart that, that really, without, we are completely, you know, incapable of accessing on our own. But he sends the Holy Spirit to partner with us and to teach us truth. In, in Hebrews um, chapter 10, it says this about the Holy Spirit. It says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. So what it says is, is just you know what, what I've already been saying, that the Holy Spirit very much partners with us when we read the Word of God. And that's why it's so important that we do that on a daily basis because he's, he's coming alive in our lives. He's searching out those, those inner chambers of our heart to make sure that, that everything's clean, that everything is, is seeking after the Lord. 
And, and again, in, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, and this is a, a really pretty well-known um, scripture, it says this, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And, and you know, it's funny, I, I've been through a, a lot of classes over psychology, and of course there's so many you know, self-help books out there, but what this really does is it illustrates um, some of the frustration of, of you know, the, the modern-day way of handling things. You know, psychology and, and help books and, and all of that stuff, I'm not saying that they're bad. A lot of times um, they're very informative. But the truth of it is, is they have no way of penetrating unto your heart. That, that Jesus Christ is the only mechanism that can get inside of you and begin to change you so that outwardly your appearance changes. And so we can read all day and we can, we can gain all the, the head knowledge about the, the fruit of the issue. You know, we, we did the, the series with Kyle Adelman and Adelman, and he said, you know, that uh, when it comes to, to idols in our life, that we can deal with the, the fruit of the issue all day long. But if we don't allow the root of the issue to be dealt with, then it's never going to, you know, the fruit's just going to keep coming back again and again and again. And so we ha- how we deal with the, the root of the issue is through the advent of the Holy Spirit. That's why he was sent to us, that he would go into our heart and that he would begin to, to work on the inside of us, that he would begin to change our, our mind and he would begin to, to change the way that we think. Um, let's see. You know, and this, is, this is incredible to me too because I, I find my, myself saying this a, a lot of times. You know, I find myself making excuses for why I don't read the Word or, or why, you know, I've, I've had lapses um, in my walk. Of course, there, there's seasons where we get busy, and I, I seem to find excuses. But this is an incredible bit of Scripture to me. And I, I want you, if you will, turn to John um, chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. It says this, it said, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You know, that, that, that is remarkable because what that says is that Jesus is the Word made flesh. So when it comes to, to reading your Word on a daily basis, when it comes to, to making sure that your sword is sharpened, really, what it really boils down to is spending time with Christ because you can't do one without the other. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He's, he's the Word made flesh. And so when we go into the Bible, when we dig into the Bible, when we begin to read about Him, what we're really doing is we're beginning to spend time with Him. And when you, you look at it in that perspective, and it, it changes everything. It's no longer just about, you know, hey, this is a list of things I have to do, and man, I forgot to bring my, you know, read my Word today. And you feel that guilt and that shame. And of course, over time, it becomes harder and harder to kind of get back to that place. But really, what it really starts with is just saying, hey, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. And if you don't look at it with that perspective, I promise you will always struggle with getting into the Word because it's always just going to be something that you have to do versus something that you get to do. You know, it's, it's interesting. I haven't been married that long, um, just over a year. I've been with my wife, of, what are we, we're almost nine years? I think it will be nine years in December. So I don't have a whole lot of insight on marriage, but I do have a little insight into to relationships. And it's funny because, you know, I, when it comes to marriage, it's kind of a, a touchy subject for some. And I know really, um, you know, from relatives and friends and families, it's a subject of hurt for a lot of people. A lot of people have been burned in that arena, and there's a lot of, of hurt and, and bitterness and, and things of that nature. And I, I was kind of 
it really didn't have a whole lot to do with the word of God, but um, or the the sword of the spirit. But the the Lord was kind of just speaking to me about the perspective of, of spending time with Jesus, and, and He used the analogy of of our marriage um, to represent that. And this was what He was kind of saying to me, and I'll share it with you tonight: is that you know our our marriage is symbolic of our relationship with Christ, and so when it comes down to me and my wife, you know I, I will always struggle, and our our relationship together will always dwindle if my perception and my perspective of our relationship is skewed. Meaning that if, if I look at her and I say, man, you know, I, I have to be with her. And man, we, we just, we don't get along as well. You know, when she was in high school, man, she just, she was so much more affectionate. And man, it seems like she used to wear makeup and she doesn't do that anymore. You know, what's going on? And all that, I'm just picking. I think my wife's beautiful. Um, but, but those type of things, when I, when I have the wrong perspective, it completely alters our relationship. But here's the, the thing with the, the Lord ask of us and definitely concerning his word is that we have the right perspective when reading it. And so really what I should be saying is, man, I get to be with my wife. You know, Proverbs 18 says that blessed is the man who finds a woman in God because he, he gains favor from the Lord. And so really what I have to tell myself every single day, and I, I can't allow, you know, that, that plague, I can't allow that, that disease to corrupt into my mind that says, you know, man, if things aren't going good right now, and man, y'all, y'all just, uh, you know, y'all haven't been clicking, and maybe it'd just be easier. No. No, I, I'm with her. I get to be with her every day. And it's from that perspective that we have to walk in, and it's, it's the same way in our relationship with Christ. You know, it's not something that you have to do. You know, he's never going to get, he's never going to put you in an arm bar and, and force you to read the Word of God. It's something that you get to do, and he grants you a level of free will, and it's remarkable you know, I wish I could tell you, you know, why he does that and why he created us to be affections, uh, you know, objects of his affections, of his love. But, but the simple truth of it is, it, it just is. And you just have to accept it and understand that tonight, tomorrow, the next day, the day after that, you have an opportunity to spend time with the king of this universe. You know, with, with the God who, who not only framed this world, he, he holds up the stars, the cosmos, and he makes sure that everything in this world runs correctly. He knows the ins and outs of every situation. He, he, he knows everything. And he wants to spend time with me. It's, it's remarkable. It, it's, it's crazy. And, and when we come at it with that perspective, I promise you, I promise you that you'll be diving into your word on a daily basis. You know, the prophet Jeremiah, he said this about the word of God. He said, the, the, the word of God is like a fire in my bones, shut up in my bones. You know, it breathes life. It consumes every part of me. I just can't get enough of it. And of course, you know, when, when Josh was speaking, he talked about the Pharisees and how, um, you know, their, their mind towards the word of God was, was very much a mind of just religion. And they didn't really allow it to sink in. They had it all wrong. You know, they, they could memorize the entire Old Testament, as, as he mentioned, which is incredible to me. You know, that seems like a, a feat that would be, be very difficult. But at the end of the day, they really knew nothing about the nature of Jesus Christ. And so for us, we've got to come at it from this perspective that says, man, I have an opportunity to get to know the Lord better. I have an opportunity to spend time with the Lord. I'll, I'll close with this tonight. I, I, I want to read you. It's, it's an illustration. It comes from um, a guy by the name of, of H.P. Parker. He was a, a minister, and he, he really was a, a guy who, who spoke through illustrations. And, and this is a, a, a scene that he describes. He says, one day he described himself looking out a window and watching a garden full of plants and flowers. And he said, I saw three things in the garden. First, I saw the butterfly. The butterfly was beautiful, and it would alight on a flower, and then it would flutter to another flower, 
and then it would flutter to another flower, and only for a second or two would it sit, and it would move on, and it would touch as many lovely blossoms as it could, but derived absolutely no benefit from it. Then he said, I watched a little longer out of my window, and there came a botanist. And the botanist had a big notebook under his arm and a great big magnifying glass. And the botanist would lean over a a certain flower, and he would look for a long time, and then he would write notes in his notebook. He was there for hours writing notes, closed them, stuck them under his arm, tucked his magnifying glass in his pocket, and walked away. And then he said he saw the bee, and it was just a little bee. But the bee would light on a flower, and it would sink deep down into the flower, and it would extract all the pollen that it could carry. It, it went in and emptied every time and came out full. And he said, so it is with people who approach the Bible. There are those who just flutter from lovely sermon to lovely sermon, from class to class, fluttering here, fluttering there, bringing nothing and gaining nothing but a nice feeling. You know, when I, I read that, it, it very much spoke to me because, you know, we, we have to be the bee in that scenario. You know, it's, it's very easy to come and be moved, especially when you have gifted and, and talented speakers. It's, it's very easy to be moved by the emotion of things. It's very easy to, to spend a little time in this subject and spend a little time on this subject and never really learn about the Lord, really never really dive in with any depth. But at the end of it all, which, what will happen to you is you will become very dissatisfied because deep down innately in you is a longing for your Creator. And it's always going to be there. You're created by a supernatural being, and I'm not trying to get you know, too spiritual here, but it's just the truth of it. You know, God breathed life into you, so, so very deep down in, in the most um, you know, deepest sense of your, your DNA, you have a longing for this God who created you. And, and, and you, know, you can choose to ignore it, you can choose not to feed it. You can do as, as um, the botanist and as the butterfly, and we can just jump from sermon to sermon. We can expect, inspect it a little bit, but never dive fully in. But that will lead to more and more dissatisfaction. And, and what I want to challenge you tonight is when you leave this place, I, I want to challenge you to, to draw away from, from everything in your life, draw away from, from everything in your world, and spend time with the Lord. It has to be a daily requirement. We can't expect to grow in the Lord if we're not spending time with the Lord. Amen? And, and, and one thing, too, we, we have to protect ourselves from and, and it is rationalizing situations. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I switched from a day-to-night schedule up at the hospital and have been working some, some long hours, but really just at odd hours of the night, so it it's really leaves me tired um, in the day. And I, I found myself doing this. I know y'all can all sympathize because we, we've all been there at, at one point or another in our walks. You know, I found myself sympathizing with the fact that I, I'm really doing nothing wrong if I don't read the Word. It's not like I'm going out and sinning. I'm not going out and, and killing anybody. I'm no, not going out and you know, committing adultery or anything like that. I'm really doing nothing wrong. But you know, the Lord began to speak to me, and, and this is the thing. When we rationalize situations, and I heard this this week, and I think it's really good. When we rationalize situations, what we're really doing is we're telling ourselves rational lies. You know, it, it's, it's got a, a thread of truth to it, meaning that it's rational. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I, I'm super tired from work. I, I don't want to dive into the Word. That's just rational, right? But it's a rational lie. And so we've got to move out of that, that frame of rationalizing situations and understand that, that it all begins and ends with perspective, that the God of this universe who created you is waiting for you to come and spend time with Him. And when you begin to do that, he, all of you know this, 
especially if you know Christ and you're connected to Christ, you know that he will breathe life into every area of your life. That's just the nature of who he is. He comes to change. You know, he's the, the searcher and refiner of our hearts. He searches our hearts. And he, and he searches them over and over and draws us closer and closer to, to him in that process. So tonight, I, I want to pray for you guys before we, we close. I just want to challenge you that in your walks, get intentional with getting into the word. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father God, we, we thank you so much for your word, God. There, there's no amount of words to describe it, Father, how precious it is, God. God, we know that you desire of us, God, walks that would be intentional, God. That we would spend time with you every day, God. That we wouldn't neglect our intimacy with you. And I just pray over my brothers and sisters tonight, God, that you would increase in us, God. The standard, God, that says that it is not okay, Father, to not spend daily time with you. God, I pray that in each and every life here, God, that you would begin to just woo on the hearts, Father. Yes, Lord. That we would just grow deeper and deeper, yes, God, Jesus. into our relationship with you, God. That we would not be satisfied, God, with, with complacency, God. That we would not be satisfied, God, with just hanging out on the surface, yes, God. Lord. But that you would draw us into the, the deep Jesus. depths of relationship yes, with you, Jesus. God. We love you, God. I, I thank you for the word tonight, God. I pray that it would not return void, God. Yes, that it would bear much fruit. Yes, God, we, we praise you and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's amen. let Thank Trent you, know we appreciate his investment in our life. Wow, that was awesome. One of my big temptations, which I'm going to resist, is every time, you know, the preacher in me, the teacher in me, when I start hearing the word, it starts stirring things up. And, you know, me now, I'm, I'm ready to go to, to my lesson, but I'll, I'll wait till next week. So, uh, Man, and I just have to say one thing. He, he brought out some great truth. That John 12, where it says, you know, Jesus is the Word. Then I was thinking in my mind, what did Jesus just, when, his, when he first got a hold of his disciples, the, the only thing he asked them to do was to be with him. Now, when you realize he is the Word, what was he saying? Just fellowship with the Word. And I'm telling you, Trent, is so, it's so right. Uh, when you get beyond the legalism of your moment and say, well, i got to read my Bible, and you come to the place, man, when I'm reading my Bible, I'm fellowshipping with him, and he will speak to me, and that Spirit of God will ignite the Word. Listen, when you're in the flow of the Holy Spirit, you know, if you're struggling with reading the Bible Get into the flow of the Holy Spirit. Just start worshiping God. And then you open your Bible, and I'm telling you, it will begin to come alive in your life.